This is the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Today is Thursday, July 6, 2023, here with Rebecca Shinsky, coming to you from bookriot.com. Rebecca. Hello. After this show for the Patreon feed, we are recording. Well, you tell the people. I do enough of the explaining. We are recording. Tell them what we're recording. The books of the year so far. So not our, not like not our favorites, not our personal reading list, but the books that have been the stories of publishing, or you know the things people have talked about that have made some waves of 2023 so far. We're coming in each with a list, like a power ranked list of the top five. We have not seen yep. each other's lists. We're going to see what happens. It's going to be a good time. Um, was the list hard for you to make? The first three or four just popped right off my head and Mm. then deciding on the fifth one or like between a couple of contenders for the fifth one and then some also rans was interesting and as with uh most of the setups we give ourselves for bonus episodes i reserve the right to change the order i've put them in until the very last minute Even on the fly, you can change. Yeah. I thought this was hard. And we've been doing the It book for mm-hmm. first edition, which cross-promo opportunity here. Yeah. Um, and even so, I thought it was hard. And I think part of it is you need a longer view for the books of the year. And so some of the stuff that just came out, I don't know how you, I don't know how you um, evaluate that. But I also think it's been true that we kind of haven't had an It book of the year. I guess that's my hot take. Yes, um, I agree that most people would agree on, but makes for a good conversation. Mm-hmm. If you like this kind of stuff, sign up for the Patreon or come listen to first edition. Or both. Uh, right. In, yeah. Or both. You don't have to choose. We're coming you from a place of abundance in the middle uh, of summer so here. So many ways of talking about the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, they're here. The most, they're here for this show. They want to hear us talk about some more yeah, stuff in right. some more ways. Um, on first edition right now, the most recent episode is you and I, um, you and me, talking about the It Books of July, of which there are many interesting yeah. candidates. There was no, I guess to spoil it a little bit, there was no lurking champion. There was no Muhammad Ali that you were going to have to knock out mm-hmm. um, or worry about knocking out. So it made for a good um, made for a good discussion. I'm going to have to listen to that because we recorded that, I think, when I was like two hours away from leaving for vacation and it was just a fever yes. dream and I don't remember which one I selected as the winner at the end of the episode. Mm. So it'll be you a surprise the even to me. Northwestern Guide to Rock Hounding, which I thought was an odd choice. You picked off the board. I just you kind of ordered off menu. like to keep and, you uh, on your toes. Weird. We got to keep it interesting. But, you know, I love a uh, just lacuna of content creation that, mm. that is like right that was we recorded that three weeks ago july was just a far-off dream at that point so i will have to listen and be re-surprised by the whole process yeah so first edition you can check that out the patreon that will be we're going to record it now but it'll release next week um just check out first edition interviews recommendations readings i've had people on to tell reading stories it's going to be a little quieter over the next couple of months um, in terms of the feature pack. There will be episodes coming out, but I've got some ideas for the fall. So that's first edition. I think that takes us to our first break. I've got a wild card to Ooh, throw at you here. Well, you know second, I love a wild we'll come card. Back in just a second. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eilid. 
Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed, and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year, and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increasingly more sus when he and Shuei barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what? <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santángel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. One of the things we've been doing for first edition and for the Patreon episodes, and thank you so much for people that subscribed. Um, I got some nice emails of people would like us to do it books for um, historical months. Like, what if you did, you know, each one was like, and then this one 10 years ago or last oh, year. Oh, interesting. Okay. Kind of what we do for power rankings. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of books, Rebecca, and how to plumb the depths of the old content to see what else is interesting is a fun idea. But people mm -hmm. like that. People like to hear about what the new books coming out are. I have this I, I had this idea for an ongoing content piece for Book Riot from the very beginning, and I've never done it. And that often tells you something, <laughs> uh -huh. right? Uh, at some point, you know, there's the Someday Maybe folder in OmniFocus. And, it's just, and it becomes a never folder. <laughs> becomes a never folder. So maybe the best thing I can do with it is throw it at you right here to see what your thoughts are. Why haven't I done this? Let's is it a good it. or bad idea? And okay. then get listeners to weigh in a little bit as well. All right. I'm ready. This reminds me, it's what, so it's related to the It Books thing, but kind of not really, because the It Books are new books coming out this. I'm thinking of something more like the hot list for mm. a given month. What mm -hmm. are the hot books this month? And what that really lets you do is get rid of the constraint of it has to be coming out this month. So it could be a paperback release, right? Maybe there's some reason you want a paperback release. It could be a reissue of some kind. It could be, um, and maybe you turn it over every month, but let's say I would have made Blood Meridian the It Book of July. Interesting. Right? And I think we even talked about that on the show. But if you had sort of like a, you know, kind of a real time or maybe updated monthly or weekly, what are the 50 hot books right now? 
and Blood Meridian could pop up when Cormac McCarthy dies. Or um, I, I didn't put a link here, but I put it in somewhere else where we collect links, where Nimona, the graphic novel adaptation, hit Netflix, written by the great Andy Stevenson, and she, uh, excuse me, they tweeted, it's sold out at Amazon. You can't buy the graphic novel. You also cannot buy it at Pals because I was going to buy it for my mm-hmm, kids because mm-hmm. Ames read it on it's digital, so but Rowan was wanting to read it. It's so it's wonderful. wonderful. It's great. And it's different. than. And we watched the movie together and we all had a wonderful time. It's meaningfully different. It is more commercially whatever viable, but it's still got that flavor. But I think Nimona would have been on the hot books of the month with an adaptation come out. Killers of the Flower Moon's coming out, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's different than the it books. And is that a thing? What is that? Why haven't I done that? And if should I have done it? Am I lazy? Am I stupid? What's my problem? I am going to guess that the reason you haven't done it or a reason you haven't done it is that in most years, there are like mm. a handful of books that are the it book for several months. Like what you're talking about is what should be the it books of the month. Like Blood Meridian should have in our court of rightness soared up right. the bestseller list when Cormac McCarthy died. It is right and proper and I'm glad it happened that Nimona is now very hard to find or impossible to find because that is wonderful. I'm glad the adaptation is great. It should be talked about as an it book of the month. But like in reality, for the last, I don't know, 68 months, the It Book of the Month has been Atomic Habits and something yeah. by Colleen Hoover and then for a while where the crawdads sing. <laughs> so there's the, I guess, how much do you want to editorialize that list is the primary factor for determining is this a thing to do or not? Because what we think are the interesting books that like should be the conversations mm-hmm. or that are the conversations like in a very small circle of book media is a totally different thing from the you know the hot books of the month out in the world right. of normies who read 10 to 12 books a year, which is you know the general yeah. reading public. And for those folks there's not much movement there. It's not. It's often not very interesting. Um, so that's my so take. I think you're right in in a central guard, which is you need. To, it's kind of like just replicating the New York or just the NPD book scan list because you're not doing that. Because that right. you get To Kill a Mockingbird is on there <laughs> every May. You're going to get Oh the places you'll mm-hmm. go. So you have to apply some sort of New York Times bestseller like. Um, I don't know, heuristic or curation yeah. or put your thumb on the scale in one way or the other. Because I guess what I'm saying is I, I maybe this is a list that is trying to serve multiple purposes and that could either kill it or maybe you lean into that and say something like, you remember I would do, and I should do this again, it, it's still a good piece of content um, and a fun discussion piece, especially since I'm not on Twitter as myself and no one can yell at me in a way that I care about anymore, <laughs> of the old zero to well-read list yes. I used to do yeah, like those are if fun. you were an alien dropped out of the sky or wherever aliens come from maybe the 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 deep sea I don't go there either but aliens can come um, from anywhere I don't discriminate against <laughs> your alien origin story <laughs> and they're like you know what I'd like to be well read and I've only got a hundred books these are weird constraints aliens that can only read a hundred books <laughs> um, and they want this particular thing but go with me here for a second and that is not just the bestsellers right? right and it's not only classics you're trying to get a mix of the pillars of the earth stuff. You're going to have a Shakespeare, you're going to have a Jane Austen, you're going to have it. And, you know, they're going to be weighted differently. But you also want to be conversant to the literary cocktail party that doesn't exist, or at least that, you know, most of us yes. don't ever go to. Certainly not aliens from the deep sea when they haven't read all the books. They're worried about that cocktail party. They got to do the reading first. 
I think you, have, you know you want to be conversant in some of the more recent stuff. I think that right? framing. And so you weight it that way. I think that framing is helpful for this idea of maybe not the hot books of the month, but the books to know about this month, the books to pay attention to. Um, if you're trying to be a well-informed citizen of the book world, what are the things mm. that you want to have read or at least be conversant about this month? And that is a moving target because then you get this uh, this author died, this author that maybe you haven't read before won the Nobel. And so yeah. now we're all going to go. winners. Right. Pride those, month, this thing is. Yeah. Take, I think that's yeah, yeah. A more maybe a more useful framework for that books to know about um, mm. than what was hot because what what's hot is often the same thing but books to know about gives you a lot of hooks to hang an interesting conversation on not a bad so yeah, you didn't start yeah. with a bad idea but as often happens we arrived at a better one together I think <laughs> well yeah there's something I think there's and maybe it's something to play around with in yeah. some different kind of um, a format I don't know what the right because I like the idea. Because I kind of like the idea that there are some that might be on there for a while. Because sure. it would be hard to pull lessons from chemistry off right now. A, it's selling and there's adaptation coming. Yeah. But maybe after a year, you're like, it goes into the Hall of Fame or it gets emeritus status. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, and okay, it could, this is just a part of the firmament. And it's no, because at that point, it's no longer hot. That's right. just being read. <laughs> and it could move and that's up different. and down. That's a different heuristic. Yeah. yeah if, oh, if you, you had, a, if you had a ranked, them, yeah, yeah, if you had a ranked list each month of the books to know about, it could move up and down and it would be interesting to say, you know, mm-hmm. lessons in chemistry is still on the list, but now it's in the eighth spot. Last month it was at number five. Here's why. And then you Here's see it why. move back up into a high place when the adaptation comes out. So I guess um, a bit of feedback request out there, podcast at com. Is that interesting? Would that be an interesting piece of content for you to engage with at some point? And then I would welcome any um, iterations, spins, mm-hmm. uh, zhuzh, improvisations on top of that. Um, I think it's probably... The array, I really, I really imagine doing it. I even thought of at one point having like a button on the homepage. Remember when homepages mattered uh-huh. those days? Of like the Book Riot Hot 100. And you'd click on it and it would just be the list. And maybe there'd be a why. There'd be the list, there'd be a, the cover, or maybe a synopsis, and a why this is on the list right here. And it would change relatively frequently. I don't know what that looks like. Um, probably monthly would be the quickest you I could do it. Because right. you don't want to do an update where there's no changes. Um, Though if you did it weekly, maybe that's another way of covering new releases. Like, okay, this new release is entering. The Librarianist by Patrick DeWitt comes out, came out Tuesday. I still need to go down to Powell buy my copy. This week, it's going to knock something out for a week. Maybe that'll take its spot back in. But this week, it's hotter than, you know, the literary fiction novel that came out three weeks ago. Is A Living Remedy still on that list? When it drops out, when it drops down, mm-hmm. maybe there's something to say um, about those. Yeah, things. maybe there's a hybrid way of doing that. I like this general vibe. And then you can talk about new releases in a, or at least have a place to put new releases that endure for a little bit longer. Because mm-hmm. one thing is I haven't, I haven't yet done a book Twitter check-in, and maybe I can segue into that <laughs> here in a minute because I'm doing late-night radio suddenly. Um, <laughs> is something comes out and it's talked about for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. People are retweeting yep. your reviews. Thank you so much. Here's my book. And then it's gone. And then next because Tuesday, it's a, a new cycle. Yeah. It's a new cycle. And I think that... Um, some books should stay somewhere to put them. Because even our own coverage, like new books, it books, they move on. But like tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow still matters more right now than 99% of the new releases that have come out in the last couple of months because it's selling and people are talking about it. 
and there's adaptation talk and there's a whole thing you know it was the book riot uh, not the book riot but the barnes and noble book of the year and there's adaptation then there was the gabriel zevin thing where one of the game designers was like that's my board game oh, that right, you yeah. took the idea from like things can come and stay in the news for a little bit longer and something other than just it's selling is worth doing and maybe it's fun and i'm always trying to figure a way to cover books like sports some way to keep these books mm-hmm. that authors work for years on and then also take some time to read and it's not like indiana jones coming out where a lot of people are going to see it opening weekend the, <laughs> right. the, the the wick on these things burns longer and this how do you is... meet people where they are and try to keep something more centralized i know it's an impossible task it is but just because it's impossible doesn't mean you, it's not it's, worth, it's not fun or interesting to yeah, try. Yeah, and it's one of the central problems of figuring out how to cover books precisely because yes. most people don't care about the new books that are coming out that Tuesday. And even if they do, they're not going to mm-hmm. their bookstore every Tuesday, picking up that new release and reading it immediately in the way that if you're stoked about Indiana Jones or, I don't know, July 21st when Barbie and Oppenheimer come out on the same day, <laughs> you're going to go. Yeah, right. You're going to go. Like, there, well, I'm going to have a Boppenheimer day. That's what I'm going to do. And Are you doing Boppenheimer? I think we're going to do Boppenheimer. <laughs> Bar- Barbie first? Dessert first? I, I don't know. We haven't, Bob and I have not discussed the strategy yeah. for this. Um, okay. I have to, I, I got to do some careful planning about how I pitch this idea. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. I'm going to do Boppenheimer. Bob, that Barbie is actually about tall ships. <laughs> Barbie on Tall Ships is a crossover that I could sell the crap out of in this household. I think both really interesting movies and probably a more like one for me, one for you, but let's go do a double feature situation. Um, But, you know, that's an event day. And there are a couple event days each year in publishing where uh, October 3rd looks like one of those for us this year. We get, for Mm. you and me, we get Jesmyn Ward and Michael Lewis Mm. on the same day. But even that, we get paid to do this. And even that is pretty rare for us where it's like I've got to go buy this new book on its release day that is the story Um, it does fall off after a week or two uh, or if it's lucky it falls off after a week or two usually as you were saying the buzz falls off from new titles after a day or two and then we're just on to the next week and how to balance the way publishing publicizes and releases books with the way that readers actually encounter them and seek them out is the sort of perpetual challenge of this yeah because you know um, the other thing that happens like and and I haven't followed the strict chronology of how like book clubs are picking it. And I mean, like the big one, the Reese's mm-hmm, of the yeah. GMA, because um, it's not a link it's, in here because it's not worth talking about on its own accord, except in this context. Reese just picked Yellowface by Arf right. Kwong for the book club. That would have meant this week, if we're doing it weekly, that would jump up some notches. And it's been out for a couple right? weeks, right? It's Yes, there, a couple months. It, it was May. That's right. Best I can tell, there's not a... like standardized logic to internally to any of these book clubs mm-hmm. like sometimes the oprah pick is a book that it's announced like the day the book comes out sometimes it's a couple weeks before the book comes out sometimes it's later because maybe she was late to finding out about that book and discovering she loved it it seems yeah. that reese does the same thing which is great like pick the books that you want to pick and highlight them and don't be contained or constrained by publishing's schedule but i think they're even the curators of the world's biggest book clubs are even struggling with this of like how much does publication date matter and i mean i think the headline is usually it matters a whole lot to publishers and not very much to readers but how do you bridge that divide in coverage of books yeah 
So maybe we'll try something. Yeah, I let's don't know. do it. We've got some new content things in the works for the fall. You know, it's nothing major, but there's some place. There's other places beside podcasting. Yeah, got for some ideas. Around. And this might be an interesting use case of that. Anyway, podcast at bookriot.com. Let me segue into book Twitter just for a second. <laughs> I'm so ready. Um, I mean, it's it's worth talking about because Threads came out yesterday, which is Insta- Facebook's um, using Instagram. <laughs> How do you do this? <laughs> Meta's um, it's Instagram it's Meta. Twitter it's killer. Meta, right. So basically, Meta decided we have a robust, robust social network that if we just turn on a Twitter-like experience and let people import their contacts, we could have a huge user base for text-based social network, right? Mm-hmm. And Twitter's been a gong show. I mean, is it a gong show if the gong is always being struck like 24 <laughs> hours a day? It's, is that a gong show? This is the uh, like social network that cried wolf situation because I haven't been on Twitter now for like many, many years. And every month there's... Like I yeah. see in my social feeds and the newsletters I read, like, well, this new thing Elon Musk did is the death of Twitter. Now Twitter's dead. But like those people all seem to be staying there because the next month That's right. they report on the death of Twitter yet again. Like maybe one of these days it will actually be the final straw. But it seems to me like folks are tolerating a lot more than they anticipated they would. Yeah, I think people are mistaking the gong for the bell tolling. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And I think that's what's been happening so far. But Instagram is a different beast. It's not Mm -hmm. Mastodon. It's not Blue Sky. It's not Spill or Hive or some of these other things that come along because the thing about a social network is the network. Yeah. And a lot of these other places are trying to say, what if it were Twitter but not Twitter? And you need a lot of reason for people to switch over because the thing about Twitter is not the technology. It's not the API. It's not the quote It's not the language. I don't even think it's really the code, though. That's easy for me to say knowing nothing about it. It's the people there. Mm-hmm. That's what matters about any social mm-hmm. network. Are there enough? Is there a critical mass of people there that it feels like it's alive and where you want to be? Because there's only so many social media parties. Right. And if you go to a party and it's dead, even if it's the exactly same music and food and mood or whatever, no one wants to go to that party. They want to go to the party where all the people at. And it didn't have to. It actually can be a worse experience if the party where all the people at because people want to go to parties because we're the people and these other places haven't been able to differentiate yourself enough other than say well we're at least we're not we're we're twitter but not twitter and what does that mean and it's hard to get your following over there and you got to log something in well you have to wait for an invite yeah oh god forget about i think blue sky missed the boat i'm never waiting for an invite for a social platform ever (laughs) but anyway Instagram turned it on. It's a nice experience. I looked at it. It looks a lot like Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whatever. Is it, does Instagram have enough of a following where from day one, a lot of people can move over there? I think most, more normies well, use Instagram than Twitter, yeah. which is interesting. Oh, for sure. I think my biggest question about it is is based on that, that like at its peak, uh-huh. less than 20% of the American population was on Twitter. And a much larger mm-hmm. chunk of the U.S. population uses Facebook and, and Instagram. I don't know the exact numbers, right. but there is a, there's something very different about creating what's functionally just visual content, sharing photos and sharing you know memes and reels now on Instagram and text based communication, which is the you know only thing really you're doing on Twitter or the primary thing communicating in words. 
do people how much interest is there in doing that in a world that has pivoted so hard into video and tiktok and that kind of vibe and how many people are actually good and interesting on it like there was something about the size of Twitter and that it, like Twitter drew a lot of media folks. Like there was a lot of sort of commentary and interesting discussion that was happening on Twitter that I, my impression is that a lot of like the power users would say that one of the special things about Twitter was that everybody wasn't on it. It wasn't yes. like your drunk uncle from Thanksgiving and your favorite New York times <laughs> reporter. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a certain like rarefied air to moments of Twitter. Definitely not my impression of it anymore but how much is it interesting if it's definitely easier to use if you can just if anybody can get on and you can import your contacts and do those things but what does that do to the quality of the user experience in terms of the content at least is an open question for me yeah so my my um maybe ill-advised (laughs) re-entry into using twitter has really been a discovery thing Mm -hmm. of like I have a first edition account. You can follow it there. I'm not really posting anything right now because I'm terrified. Um, not terrified, but just like I, I'm not interested in building a following there. It's mostly I'm usually mostly to find links and then ideas for interviews or what people are doing or content stuff. Like it's basically mm-hmm. like an RSS reader that individual people in account can do. But in following certain critics or book industry people not only do i have to get their publishing stuff i've got to get their takes um which i don't want frankly Mm -hmm. and the the dynamic i seem to have walked into and i'm not this sure if this is everyone's feed or if it's just mine is that there's kind of a dynamic that's really unpleasant and i want no part of it maybe this even represents a change in my own thinking which is to have a take on anything that starts to get traction as part of the quote-unquote discourse. You have to mm-hmm. have a take on it. And then what happens is the snowball effect. So there, I think I mentioned a couple of these in, in prior episodes. There was something that went around over the last couple of days. Someone with 4,000 followers, which is really nothing in the yeah. grand scheme of things, and who knows if they're real or follow-backs or you know, no way to know, had a take that was something like, if you're reading in public, that's performative. Don't, don't <laughs> oh, add which, okay, I don't agree with that. Who cares? But then it became fun. It became sport taking mm-hmm. to quote tweet it and say, this is dumb. Or, you know, this tweet is performative. And then that gets traction. Then <laughs> Your other people, mom is performative. It, it be, yeah, your mom is performative. Performance is performative. Um, which is the, the depth of the irony of this happening on Twitter is, is just mind-boggling in a way a way that the emperor has no takes show title. Um, <laughs> I have come around to this, which is there was a time in which it felt important to critique in the name of truth and rightness things you saw as being um, away from the light, whatever you want to say, to mm-hmm. use the Murakami, the egg in the wall, on right. the side of the egg, be on the side of the egg at all times. I have come around to sometimes it's okay if someone says has a dumb thought or a dumb opinion. <laughs> That's different than being a bad person. That's, That's the important being, piece. Yeah. It, or or being or being or riding a horse um, for so long or like you know to use she who will not be named. That's the example that I think I'm still I'm still okay with people mm-hmm. dunking now or or being consistently critical of her 
championing of a certain point of view. And I don't even want to talk about the specifics because I know yeah. people find it upsetting, as I do I, and it's beyond. That's different than someone saying, I think reading a book is performative. It just is. It just is. It, it just yeah. is different. It's, and you, it's, it's a dumb take. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it's a dumb take. Well, but which one do you want to be? The person making one dumb take or the person, the kinds of people, the kinds of community that relentlessly finds the weakest wildebeest in the herd and then sends all the lions after it? It's, it, well, it, it doesn't encourage positive discourse or useful discourse. That kind of behavior has a chilling yeah. effect on the conversations that are the, the moments that we point to when we point to ways that social media has been mm-hmm. good. Like when there is major injustice and there is a way for people to collectively come together and either find each other on social media and amplify a message or plan a protest or, you know, make a stand in a way that is really big and powerful. That's a thing that we couldn't do in that way prior to having Facebook and Twitter in the world where the whole world was connected or you could plug into that if you wanted to. But when when you treat everything as signal and as an equal, like equally mm-hmm. important and equal kind of signal, it flattens the impact of response when there is a major injustice, when someone is really in the wrong and there is not just a bad take, but a harmful take to call out. If yeah. if dumb takes are treated the same as dangerous takes, that means dangerous takes are treated the same as dumb takes. And how do you differentiate between them? And how and how do you you know have it make an impact when you are trying to call out something that really is harmful or that really does need to have attention called to it? Like the performative nature of all of that and what it does to the people participating in it is something that. I, I think we're going to think about a lot over the next mm. couple of decades. I'd like to see some, you know, sociologists sort of dig into that. Like, what does this do to like the, to the folks who are terminally online? Um, if you're existing in that way, what is your real life like? And how do you try to engage in a productive discourse? Like, I mean, I left Twitter right after the 2016 election because there was Mm. there was nothing fruitful about the experience of being there. Like the things that I saw that were bad were the same things that everyone else was seeing that were bad. And it felt like it was becoming a competition on who could prove that. No, they really did know that it was bad out there. (laughs) And it's like, I don't need I don't need you to tell me. I know that those things are bad Mm -hmm. when it's about that rather than actually like furthering a conversation or doing something new. It's just. That's a bummer. I'm bummed that it went that way. I think last week we talked about Cory Doctorow's uh, term about like the shitification of social yes. networks. Yes. And I mean, we saw it on Facebook. You see it in a bunch of places. It's it's unfortunate that this seems to be the thing that people want to do um, when given a, a way to critique other people um, is yeah. flatten that. It, it just flattens the discourse in a way that I find really disappointing and unhelpful. So, and I guess I've come around to, and again, it's hard to author, especially if there's a particular group that's being harmed yeah. or you know denigrated. That's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. But you could also could have weird idiosyncratic ideas and dumb ideas, and that just aren't worth the conversation. And I think the worm. And this, I remember the the days when this would be fun. Yeah, or this was felt like it felt like fun, or it felt like resistance of some kind, mm-hmm. right? And who knows who this person is? Who knows who any of these people are that suddenly, for whatever reason, 
start to take the heat or this particular discourse that flares up. And there's been disagreements and nasty arguments to the dawn of time. I'm sure at the Agora, some people were playing dirty pool with their sophistry Mm -hmm. um, in the Hellenic world. But it's 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 a little different when everyone can see you have a bad idea and then everyone also tells you you have a bad idea and the punishment so outweighs yeah. the crime um, and people mistake virtue for vice and you're in a mundus and versus the world upside down that I don't know what any of these I'm going to bring it back to Twitter competitors I don't know what of those dynamics can be solved by someone just saying this is Twitter without Elon Musk's stink <laughs> right. on it because that dynamic is not going away no I don't think I don't even think that's an I don't think that's something that's been created by technology. I think it's something that's been enabled and enhanced mm-hmm. by it. But I think there is a a rush to judgment, a rush to have an opinion. Um, just read the comments to all the ethicist columns in the New York Times. It's always <laughs> find interesting to read Apias uh-huh. takes. But everyone knows. Here's the nice thing about everyone: they all know what the right thing is. Congratulations <laughs> to everyone. You've all got it figured out. You all behave per- perfectly at all times. You've got it all figured out, and there's no questions, and you never make mistakes. I wish those people, you know, they ran for office and stuff. It'd be nice to see them out there um, <laughs> in the public. So I'm of the opinion of let it go. Mm-hmm. Let the bad takes go. If it is a bad, you know, is it a snapshot or a story? If it's someone that's in power that's telling a bad story, a harmful story over time, then maybe it's time to saddle up or think about how you can be a part of something. But, boy, I think the the bar for denigration, insult, mockery, you know, should be much, much it's, higher in people's, in much people's. Work. I think it's just that core kind of golden rule of the Internet or what, what should be the golden rule of the Internet of, like, don't treat people online in a way that you wouldn't treat them to their yeah. faces. And, you know, having a dumb take is a thing people do when they're standing around at parties or you're at a backyard barbecue and somebody's got like a kind of dumb idea about mm-hmm. a thing. And the proportional response, the appropriate response to that is maybe like gentle ribbing or like, oh, I don't know. Come on. Right. Right. You For real. <laughs> you know, yeah. right. That indicates, all right, maybe that idea is not great or somebody might, you know, well, have you thought about this thing? with that there's like an appropriate way to push back in the same way that when your drunk uncle is spouting racist stuff at thanksgiving there's an appropriate way to push back on that and pushing back on it is appropriate but this like jumping on somebody who has a dumb take and basically like you're at a party but you drag them into your circle and now you tell everyone you know hey i was at this thing and here's here's Mm. jeff that i met at this other party (laughs) and this is his bad take and i'd like to drag him into this room so you can all make fun of him now this is not a way that it's just not a way that humans should behave with each other especially if we're talking about trying to make the world better in some way and to think that it's okay to do it because online is like, quote unquote, not real to us when now we've had the internet long enough to know that it is real. The ways that we treat each other there, the things that we do and the things that we say have real world impact. Is I just think it's irresponsible. And there's something very uh, self-serving, evidently self-serving about it and not something that is the best use of any of our 
time when when it's that way when it can be used to elevate an important message or elevate an injustice that needs attention paid to it wonderful yes let's do it but this you know like the piling on and then performing so that everyone who follows you you can make sure they know that you don't agree with that bad Mm. take um this like sort of constant construction of the way you wish to be perceived is I don't know. I'm, I have very little patience for it these days. Can someone make us a social network that's built around like, what are the questions you're trying to live inside right now? I want more questions and less like How about d- this? definitive. I feel like, like there's O'Neill's razor, right? I think we need the, um, um, the, uh, the Oates amnesty. Joyce Carol Oates <laughs> would be the biggest beneficiary of this. Because yes. I think at her core... She's all. She's okay, right? She on on the core. She's okay. She's just unfortunate will, on the internet. She will blast off a real head scratcher every now and again. She will let one fly, and she tends not to have a hobby horse. Right? This is not yeah. a, a rolling situation. It's like, well, I you know this seems to me to be X. It's much more of a. I think the the party comment is a really good example of it. Mm. Now, maybe if you're, you know, a famous author with hundreds of thousand people, maybe you know what you're doing when you do this, or maybe you should, I don't know. But my sense of Oates changes dramatically when I think of her as trying stuff out, yeah. having a stray thought, then this is sort of like Russian disinformation or something, like, or this is some sort of planned strategy and, by a nefarious take yeah, meister mastermind yeah. to, to and, get me, give me the mind virus. And that is, I think um, it's really, that's helpful for you to phrase it that way, because that's what Twitter felt like in the earlier days, was so like... Yeah. Can't like people kicking ideas around and sort of riffing on things and coming mm-hmm. up with stuff, and there was this creative, iterative space that it doesn't seem like there's any room for there because like the way to get to a new interesting creative thing is to try a bunch of bad ideas along the way. <laughs> right. You know, right. like it's not just the first pancake; it's probably like the first twenty, and yeah. you if you can't have a harmless bad idea in public you can't collaborate in public you can't create in public and having folks react to a harmless bad idea in the same way that they react to harmful bad ideas doesn't get us anywhere Mm -hmm. or maybe there's a um there's a button you know because right (laughs) now you can retweet comment heart you need a comment for a a settle down button for someone else's take (laughs) for a chill so it's not the original thing there's a you know quote tweeting can you believe this mfr right that's Mm -hmm. you know of of something harmless or harmless most of the time you're like yeah that's a stupid thing to say or that seems screwed up or whatever but when they're the 900th person to pile on (laughs) A chill out button, yeah, would be very helpful. Well, or like, you know what? Enough already. That was. I, I get it. We all get it. We all get it. There's not. You're <laughs> not adding a single whit of ad- additional crap here. Yeah, and and that if people, if that button existed and people would respect it, that would be magical. That was one of the things yeah. that I thought RF Kuang really nailed in Yellowface was that yes. once this kind of thing starts happening, like once the storm is going. There will be people who step in and try to be reasonable or try to like redirect whatever the community mm. is and be like, all right, y'all, like, I think they got the point. <laughs> this is getting out of hand. Do we really want to behave that way? But what actually happens is then that person becomes the object of the pylon. Yeah, look at Mr. Socrates right. coming in to right. tell us all how to think. <laughs> right. Te- you want to tell me to calm down? <laughs> yeah. 
Right. Yeah. Oh, it must be nice to be able to calm down. <laughs> right, right, right. Which is very close to that thing that happened on Twitter, like, I think last year now, where a woman just tried to tweet like, here's a photo of me and my husband having coffee in our garden. It's one of my favorite I moments of the day every morning. I, and she got blasted by people of the, it was like, how privileged that you have a yard and a husband and coffee. How dare you enjoy it or tell anyone you enjoy it? Like her, her day, her month, maybe like a, she probably feels like a good chunk of her life got ruined by that harassment over like mm. I was just trying to share a thing and if you had stepped into that to be like whoa 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 everybody then you become like the defender of the one that everyone's coming down on so now you're in the bad camp too yeah it's an impossible so game that, to win it's it's impossible and I don't know why I'm thinking about it so much. I guess it, having been away for so long, and now I've been like messing around for or just like observing. I mean, frankly, just observing for yeah. a few months and then posting a first edition link every now and again, um, just to have something there to people to point to. It's like I feel like I've, it's like Gulliver's Travel, where you walk into this different land, and the currency is the opinion or judgment, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that becomes the coin of the realm. And it just is not an interesting way for, for me to operate anymore. And it's I think if you've been on there a long time and you've participated in this economy, it's you don't even get that that's the water you're swimming right. around in. Like you don't even understand how strange and how sociopathic in some ways some of the normalized behaviors mm-hmm. in. And it's, and it's a slippery slope. Or it's not even a slippery slope. It's like a death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. Like. Because you're probably all your takes. If you're on their book Twitter all day, or any any sort of hashtag X, Twitter for X, right, a sub community or interest, any any individual one of your takes onto the um, the hurricane of the day is probably by the court of rightness would be approved. Yeah. Right. Your individual opinion of that thing, but there's something about the whole being greater than the sum of its parts when it comes to so many so quickly so vociferous vociferously um so i don't know i'll continue to use it but i mute people and i unfollow people that seem to get more pleasure out of this sport twittering Mm. than the contribute twittering um which is which is helpful but i don't know i'm which makes me less excited about any given twitter replacement because i think that social dynamics are going to port over I think that's um, right. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Let's do our second sponsor. Maybe we'll actually talk about real <laughs> stories. What do you think? Rather than me just Maybe some books. And asking you to talk with me about them. Um, let's see. I guess um, two news pieces. There's a. We'll put a link in here about some more stuff about Amazon and Goodreads. I think for those of mm-hmm. you who want to follow up on that, we'll find the link. Show notes. Bookwright.com slash listen. We talked about TikTok. Um, ByteDance being the parent company. We mentioned that they were hiring. I think we saw some, um, read some early tea leaves that this is happening, but it's official now because the New York Times is covering it. And I don't, yes. I, I'm not the person that says that snarkily. No. Like, it's, look, the New York Times yeah. is on it. I think the New York Times is like all human institutions flawed, but there ain't no many places like the New York Times. So I try to appreciate them and because <laughs> and, and, there is no substitute. But they got the full work up there. Um you know, I don't know. Are they going to put the finger on the scale? That's the single question to me. Are they going to, are they, 
And if they're not, why are they doing this? So those are the two questions to me, Rebecca. Coming out of this article, is there anything else you wanted to note um, from this piece? They seem to be. It seems that, at least from the folks that the reporters for The Times are able to speak to, ByteDance seems to be really counting on the appeal of you will be connected to TikTok. You will have a lot of publicity access because they talked to some authors that got uh, offers from ByteDance, including a best-selling, a romance author named Trisha O'Malley. She's published about 40 books. Her deal from ByteDance, um, they offered to buy the rights to two of her books. The deal included a social media marketing campaign, royalties, and an advance of $3,500 per book. $3,500, which is an incredibly small advance. She notes that that's less than her titles mm-hmm. earn every month currently. Um, so if ByteDance is trying to compete with the $50,000, $100,000 kind of deals that authors pretty frequently receive for works of fiction, um, or you know more than that for something that a publisher anticipates is going to be a big seller, especially in genre fiction, they're really banking, like literally banking on the impact of the social media stuff and the like Mm. the not even implied, but just barely not stated promise that TikTok will help you sell, will sell books for you. Like that that barely implied was I was going to like, just say it. Yeah. What are the value proposition? Which I think means they have to be planning to put their thumbs on the scale because other like we know there's only a handful of things that have been what the public we perceive to be organic sensations that really became bestsellers. And we also know that TikTok can put their thumb on the scale and does put their thumb on the scale for some kinds of content. So we don't know if like some of the Colleen Hoover stuff was eventually ByteDance putting their thumb on the scale to further it. We don't know for any of those authors. They're never going to tell us. But if they're saying we're going to give you an advance of $3,500, that's it, to write a book they're implying here you're going to sell a whole lot of books and that's going to make up and maybe extend right. beyond that gap between this $3,500 advance and the tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars advance that is typical in publishing. And the only way that they can deliver on that promise for a bunch of authors is to put their thumb on the scale. And I don't understand why cheap out on the advance. It reminds me of that scene in Jurassic Park where like, he's, you know, he's he has the lunch and he's like getting ready to <laughs> right. get millions of dollars for the embryos, and the dude isn't going to pick up the check for like yeah. the the whatever you know, right? The, like the, the four dollar tacos. Like don't get cheap on my, don't get cheap on me now. If you're going to do this, why not it's, offer an advance that's competitive? Take it and then sell the crap out of it, mm-hmm. and then. For the next one, say, you know what? We actually don't do advances because right. we just sell books. I think you we don't gotta, need to do advances. you got to start with, or it would be wise to start with, a deal that looks pretty similar to traditional publishing deals and mm-hmm. has the gravy of, and we're TikTok, <laughs> and then yes. let those results speak for themselves. And when those authors have an amazing experience, let them become publicity for you so that other authors want to go to ByteDance Publishing rather than you know PRH or Simon & Schuster or wherever. But this... This is a huge risk to take, and unless for an author, and unless ByteDance is telling them we're going to put our thumb on the scale to the tune of book sales that we can functionally promise you are going to make you money equivalent to what you would make with a traditional Mm -hmm. publisher, I don't know why an author would take that deal. Um, Yeah, unless there's details being disclosed to these authors that are not being disclosed publicly. Um. Yeah, I'm so I'm trying to think. 
maybe TikTok isn't sure it can move units. Yeah. Because has it done like anything before? Mm-hmm. Does it does it know for sure that oh, it could sell fifty thousand copies mean, of a paper trade? We don't know. Movements? Like, uh, yeah. Well, do, do they know? That's yeah. what I'm saying. Do you think they know? I think it's possible. Like, I would believe that they might be able to trot data out and say this one book that became a TikTok sensation. We just liked that content. We put our thumb on the scale. Here's where it surged. We're the it's it's us mm. TikTok that made it a bestseller. It wasn't an organic thing. But do they want to admit that at this point? Because now there's been two years of you know just like breathless media coverage of the magic yeah. of TikTok word of mouth. And if TikTok comes out and reveals which word of mouth sensations were not actually word of mouth sensations, but were TikTok weighting the algorithm in favor of particular things that cuts down on the appeal of just being there as yeah. a user. Because if it doesn't work, don't you question the whole like TikTok advertising yes, model itself? All of like it. if TikTok can't even do it to yourself, why should I pay for ads? Right. On <laughs> if they can't successfully sell books with the access yeah. to the algorithm and the ability right. to put their thumbs on the scale, why should we believe they can successfully sell anything? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll mention one story, then we got to get moving here. Um, a group of authors, I guess two authors, uh, Mona Wad and Paul Tremblay, joining together to sue ChatGPT. I'm sorry, OpenAI. ChatGPT is a school, uh, the tool, OpenAI is a company, claiming that, quote, the organization breached copyright law by training its models on novels without the permission of the authors is a piece in The Guardian um, by, is there a byline here? Uh, Ella um, Creamer. Uh, I have, I need to get a copyright lawyer in a group <laughs> chat or something because I don't get it. I mean, no, I'm not, I'm not saying yes it's... or no. Like, how do you know this? How do you prove it? This is stuff in the public. It's not plagiarizing it really in the way that we understand I'll be fascinated to watch this. Yeah. So I don't have anything to say here except interesting. I feel like I have one eyebrow raised in each direction of this. Mm. (laughs) Because the reasoning that they're giving for this is for believing that ChatGPT ingested their text is that ChatGPT can generate a, quote, very accurate summary of each novel. And so it seems these authors believe that the only way ChatGPT could generate a very accurate summary of the novel is if they've read the novel. And that seems to me to reveal a fundamental misunderstanding of how ChatGPT works or how any of these large language models work because ChatGPT has ingested every summary of that book that's publicly available on the internet. All the reviews, (laughs) all the tweets about it. Right, all the synopses. The Wikipedia page, their author pages, publisher pages. It doesn't need to have read the book because it's read everything that the internet has written about the book and that's how it arrives there. And so, like, that raised my eyebrow for, like, um, are we really, like, okay, if you're the copyright attorney, this is probably very interesting, and also maybe you're making some money just pursuing this, but unless there are details about this that didn't make its way into this Guardian piece, I think these authors look a little ignorant about how the tool functions, and so I'll be interested. I'm I'm really interested to see in what other details come out as this plays out. Does it even survive long enough to like go anywhere (laughs) in court? Um, I have no idea. It's I have no idea. Yeah, and I was trying to extrapolate like 
you know, we've talked about like using it for recipes and just like the fact that chat GPT can tell me how to make a roast chicken doesn't mean that it read Ina Garten's cookbook against her will. You know, it just means there are like a floppity Jillian roast chicken recipes and they're all pretty similar to each other. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. if it looks like the one in your cookbook, it doesn't mean that or if I can summarize how to do that thing that you also know how to do, if it's all over the Internet, that's all chat GPT needs. It doesn't need direct access to the original text. Um, and I've, you know, I think I guess it's possible they someone was sitting there with a scanner or a Kindle book yeah, and I fed mean, it into the machine. Maybe. Just as, that's my, but, my understanding how this works. Like I've asked it to summarize some of the things that I've read over the last couple of months just to yeah. see, or like when we were doing white noise on uh, the, for the bonus episodes, I was like, I wonder what chat GPT will get from like 20 years worth of internet talking about you know, white noise. And it did a pretty good job and I don't think that's because it had read the book itself like that also gives chat GPT credit in a place it's not due it can't synthesize information it can't make sense of a bunch of ideas and pull them together no it can only take text it has access to and recombine it into you know quote unquote original <laughs> sentences so yeah. it yeah. says um OpenAI says that ChatGPT was trained on a data set of internet-based books called Books 2, is what they call the database. Mm-hmm. Um, the lawyers deduced that the size of this data set, estimated to contain two, 294,000 titles, means the books could only be drawn from shadow libraries, so basically pirated internet stuff. And I guess that's you know stuff that shouldn't be available. Maybe that's true. I don't know. I mean, There certainly could be 294,000 yeah, um it's- Public domain books. Yeah, I right? think it's there, there could be easily in 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 out there on the internet. Totally, that and it's, don't violate copyright. And it's totally possible that multiple things happened here. Like it's possible yeah. that Chat GPT did ingest the text of these books. I believe that even if that happened and you removed the text of these books from ChatGPT's yeah, training, right. it would still be able to provide a very accurate summary of these books because there are very accurate summaries of these books all over the internet. So like whether. Now, whether it makes a material difference is a different question from did it ingest right. something it shouldn't have. The discovery of Faithus alone will be fascinating yes. if it gets that far. I mean, the, the question you're sort of suggesting, if what you're saying is more true, and I think I agree with you, the person who might have a better case is like a Ron Charles, who mm-hmm. maybe wrote a review yes. of Mona Wad's book, right? And if the, the fundamental question is, are these the right people? Is it not the most interesting question to bring a suit? The more interesting question is, is there a suit to be brought Mm -hmm. against OpenAI for using the words that are publicly available as the raw material to generate? I I love this verb, generate. Maybe it should be the word (laughs) of the year, frankly. I'm not kidding. I think that's right. Generate, Mm because it's kind of weirdly indeterminate. It's not creative. It's not making it generate. This text mm-hmm. is that a violation of copyright? Has it done something outside of our forget for the moment moral ethical that because that's a different standard our legal understanding of what copyright is, and I'm not sure that it is. I, I mean, from a I'm just not sure either yeah. way. So, um, looking forward to that. The last thing, eh, you know, let's hold off on let's hold off on frontless yeah. way. Keep the people waiting. I got a couple of things to talk about, but <laughs> I'll have them done by next Same. time so I can. Speak about them. Uh, show notes, bookriot.com slash listen. Shoot me an email about the Book Riot Hot 100 idea. Um, if you've got a good idea, a version, does someone do something like that? Also, if you've seen other platforms do this for music or movies or um, 
birds? What are the hot birds in your neighborhood? I'm reading uh, Better Living Through Birding. That's a whole thing. You know, you get an alert that there's uh-huh. a warbler down the block and you got to run out there I in your underwear. <laughs> uh-huh. Because um, at home, I, I guess that means this suggests that you're just in your underwear always at home. A hilarious dressed. example coming out of your particular person. Yeah, no, no, that's not. You know, I'm wearing a three-piece suit right now. Top head and tails, like a gentleman. Um Shoot us email there. Check out the Patreon. Check out First Edition. Rebecca, we'll talk to you next yeah, time. Have a good one.